Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to Film Chat, a terrifying podcast that darkly satirizes the world of internet radio. Podcast producer Danny Moran is becoming tired of making episode after episode of softcore porn and giggly chit-chat when he's approached by me. I link him up to some pirated pod signal broadcasting from Malaysia the sounds of torture, murder, and adverts for Squarespace. Danny immediately declares this to be the future of podcasting, and nicks it for himself, sending his download figures rocketing. But where is this spooky broadcast coming from? Could it go viral in more ways than one? And how closely does this all resemble David Cronenberg's 1983 film Videodrome? The answers to these questions and more can be found nowhere, because this is actually a podcast in which we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, a man with a giant vagina in his tummy for inserting podcasts into Danny Moran. I told you not to tell anyone about my massive <laughs> vagina podcast thing. Hello. Not since the episode when we reviewed The Look of Silence in Jurassic World has Film Chat tackled films of such tonal disparity. First up, I review Son of Saul, the sobering Holocaust drama that won Best Foreign Film at this year's Oscars. Sounds rubbish. Then I'll be engaging the massive tone shifter. Hold on, let me just see if that's working. Uh, Kenny, can you please put some sound effects of mechanical whirring, followed by birdsong, please? Oh, thank God. And then me and Sam can discuss Captain America Civil War, the first installment in Phase 3 of Marvel's Cinematic Universe plan, featuring all your favourite characters like Iron Man and Ant-Man, Spider-Man, Inside Man, Inside Lewin Davis, Lewin Davis, the Davis Cup, Tin Cup, Cup and Balls, Cannonball, Claire Balding, Claire de Lune, the Looney Tunes, the Toon Army, Army Hammer, John Hamm, Jonathan Franzen, Franz Ferdinand, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, Duke Ellington, L.F. Fitzgerald, and Escott Fitzgerald. Oh, and the Falcon. The Falcon's in there as well. Whew. Huge cast. Sounds good. All of which should leave me enough time to mention the characters that got cut from Captain America Civil War, such as Thor, the Hulk, Daredevil, Dan Dare, part of the future, the future islands, the islands of Dr. Moreau, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, Quincy Jones, Tom Jones. Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. These good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films, old films, new films, some John Woo films, films that star Peter Fitch, films by David Lynch, films short, films six hours long. We've got films up to your gills with films, 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 films. films. 
Regular film chat content generator Chris Young has been on the Facebook page of Val Kilmer. Often we often like to do that, don't we? Everyone takes a little dip into Kilmer's world now and again. <laughs> so Chris has been on there. He says, "Hi, film chat. I thought you might be interested in how Val Kilmer takes compliments." Sincerely, Chris. One of Val Kilmer's big fans, Teresa Polio. She says, "I've crushed on you since Real Genius and fell in love with you in Willow. When I watched you in Tombstone, I died and went to heaven." Lol. Val Kilmer says, sweet. I mean, I don't know how he, but he doesn't say that. He's like, sweet. It's pretty much like that. Susan West says, your smile warms the room. Love and hugs. Val Kilmer says, that's cool, Susan. What a nice man. What a nice man. His, um, I checked out this page in question. Yeah. He's become a bit of an artist, uh, Val Kilmer. His Facebook page is all about his art he sells. He loves painting now because, like, I don't know, he doesn't act as much as he used to. But I uh, saw how nice he treated his other compliments. So I posted this morning. I said, hi, Val. I've just seen how nice you are to your fans. Class acts. Nothing. Nothing yet. Mm. The act is... Do you, uh, do you think it's because cracking. I'm not a woman? Do you think he replies to female comments? Do you think he thinks that that comment could be the start of a romance every time? It's just yeah. a, like one little nice remark. After I mean, a nice remark to him. That would be a great speech to make at a wedding day, right? Yeah. We met. On she, Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think they're, they're, these conversations are starting much as they would if they met on a dating website. Yeah. You know, if you were on a dating website as a woman and you're a big Val Kilmer fan and he came up, you'd probably say something like that. Oh, I loved you in Real Genius. Yeah. And he'd be like, oh, thanks. Oh, that's great. really nice of you. And that's how these things begin these days. Yeah. So I, I hope that uh, Val strikes lucky with yeah, the ladies. Absolutely. Also, I'm glad he's uh, alive. I thought he was dying, but apparently he's not. You thought he was dying? Yeah, he had a, a tumor in his throat. Did and he? then people were worried he was going to die because he's a Christian scientist. Is he? Wow, yeah. I'm learning so much about Val Kilmer yeah, this week. Yeah, his family are all Christian scientists. So like, oh, God, he's not going to like just pray for the tumor to, to go away. Yeah. But apparently he had a tracheotomy, so. <laughs> <laughs> prayed for one of those. Yeah, and his prayed prayers, for his... modern science to cure this problem. <laughs> and, it and it came true. And it came true. Thanks, God. Um, so, Val, I hope you're... Well, maybe you reply to my comment, you know? Yeah, if Val gets back to us, then we can report that next week. Eight hours ago, I posted that, so... I guess that's giving him plenty of time, isn't it, really? Wait a but where is he based? Maybe he's just woken up. Another bit of correspondence. Uh, it's from me. It says, uh, do that thing Katie said. I remember. Katie <laughs> told me to remind everyone that if you've got... Uh, how long this will take you? 20 seconds to spare? Write a review of us on iTunes, because that will bump us up. And we win points. We just get more listeners and that makes us happy because this is essentially just a massive ego machine. And the more likes I get translates into another reason not to kill myself. So please, <laughs> yeah. got a bit dark there at the end, but please, please uh, write a review. Please help Make feed Danny's faltering ego machine before it cracks and explodes. Exactly. Please. I don't want to sound desperate, but please do this. <laughs> please. Superhero films announced Casting rumours leaking out M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's been to print 
This episode of Film Chat is brought to you by the Fulham Scalp and Hair Clinic, taking a complete approach to the treatment of hair loss and scalp conditions. The Fulham Scalp and Hair Clinic recently gained international notoriety when they offered a young woman hair treatment so effective she almost destroyed the marriage of Jay-Z and Beyonce. Beyonce was singing about this recently. And Becky joins us now. Hello, Becky. Hi, Becky. Hello, Film Chat. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Becky. So what first took you to the Fulham Scalp and Hair Clinic? Well, it was the first step of my transition to natural hair and away from dry, over-processed hair. It was an excellent decision on my part. People used to say I had bad hair, but now they say I have good hair. And uh, so how did you meet Jay-Z? I met him at the Fulham Scalp and Hair Clinic. He'd been suffering from dry, intensely flaky scalp that all the creams in Los Angeles had not been able to alleviate. After a couple of sessions with Teresa Richardson and her naturally stimulating scalp products, Jay-Z reported a dramatically improved scalp. He thanked Teresa and Eleanor from the bottom of his heart and offered to take everyone in the scalp and hair clinic out for a drink that evening to celebrate. Unfortunately, everyone had plans except for me and, well, the rest is history. Do you regret what happened? It's been stressful for me and my good hair, but it's hard to regret anything connected with the world's greatest clinic for hair and scalp treatments, the Fulham Scalp and Hair Clinic. I recommend them to anyone with thinning hair, an itchy scalp, a receding hairline, or a desire to start an affair with a famous rap star. Wow. Wow. That's a powerful, powerful stuff. Powerful story. Thank you, Becky, with the good hair. And thank you. Teresa and Eleanor Richardson, and the Fulham Scalp and Hair Clinic. So, um, a recent trend in Hollywood films is just making a sequel long after original was passed into people's memories. So remember Space Jam, (laughs) Sam? Remember? Uh, Vaguely, You were like six. This movie came out starring Michael Jordan. You probably knew who he was. You're half American. I'm aware that the film exists. I think that's about all I know about it. You know, Looney Tunes and basketball. Exactly. It featured uh, Michael Jordan and the cast of Looney Tunes playing a basketball match against intergalactic aliens, as opposed to galactic aliens, (laughs) uh, to settle the fate of the world. And laughs and hilarity ensued so it's like escape from victory but instead of the nazis like aliens and instead yeah. of football basketball and instead of pele cartoons no wait instead of pele michael jordan and instead of sylvester stallone cartoons <laughs> yes perfect <laughs> what a clear way to explain that film if you haven't heard of it and so rumors have been around Thank for you. a while that they're going to do a sequel or reboot and that is looking like it's definitely going to happen it's got justin lynn who was director of fast and furious five and six and the director of the upcoming star trek film he's on board to direct and lebron james the sort of naughty's equivalent of michael jordan mm. is set to star little else is known maybe it'll be exactly the same wasn't Looney it a bit of a flop space jam or yes. maybe not or, or isn't it just like generally considered to have been bad have you seen it yeah what do you think of it are you a space fan of space jam yeah i mean going by my seven-year-old's opinion i thought it was great the Bugs Bunny and they're playing basketball. Bill Murray's in it. Is he? Yeah. When you watched it, were you watching it like, who came up with this idea and why did it get made into a film? Or was it, it is just like, like, this all makes sense. It's fine. It is all like, sounds like a sort of comically sort of corporate, you know, piece of machinery. It's like, we need to relaunch the Looney Tunes for the young kids. And also they like the basketball, get the basketball and guy. And yeah. it's sort of, you know, it's kind My of kid loves together. Michael Jordan. Yeah. LeBron James was very funny in Trainwreck. He can act. Yeah. So he'll be good in it. He could be Bill Hader's friend, so he can probably be Bugs Bunny's friend. Yeah. Doesn't that make sense? 
And Star Trek Beyond is set in space, isn't it? So. So space. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't. I can't remember if there was any jam in the Fast and Furious films. Well, I haven't seen six actually, so there could be a lot of jam in that. Well, Justin Lin did Fast Five, which was the you know the franchise rebooter, which you know made it into the huge juggernaut franchise it is. So that's true. You get Justin Lin into a franchise. Yeah. Star Trek Beyond is very like astronomically high. He's very good at making sequels yeah. which ignite the box office. Yeah, we're going to be looking back um, from Space Jam 8 onto Space Jam 2 and be like, you remember when they made the first Space Jam and it was just a little film about a bunch of uh, you know, cartoons playing basketball? And then Space Jam 8, it's like, wow, they're all superheroes. They fly around the world solving crimes and like, you know, the <laughs> giant car chases and drink Coronas a lot. <laughs> he really launched them. Yeah. Yeah, I think Lin's a talented man, isn't he? Yeah, I, yeah. It's fun to talk about things where you have no strong feelings about any aspect of the story. If you're keen to find out more about Space Jam, I'd uh, recommend recommend my documentary, <laughs> A Year Watching Space Jam. No, you can go on the official website, which is the same as it was in 1996. Seriously? Yeah, someone at uh, Disney or Warner Bros. was like renewing that license on that uh, domain name. That's great. And they haven't updated it at all. So That's... if you want like a you know a blast from the past, remember when websites were shit and you know people didn't know how to operate them. Yeah, you should probably do that rapidly because it seems like the sort of thing they may update now that this news is out. So get to it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Listeners, get to it. So Wolverine, he's a very popular superhero. He's got some kind of appearance in X-Men Apocalypse, apparently. And uh, that was his what, like eighth time or something? Yeah, Hugh Jackman is really committed. Playing Wolverine, he's super committed to that role. Um, and he's got another standalone movie coming up. He had X-Men Origins Wolverine, which is uh, one of those titles that looks embarrassing because they never made another like Origins movie, uh, which was roundly considered to be bad. And then he made The Wolverine, which uh, we saw a bit of on Oscar night. Which is considered to be better. Which is considered to be better. And and I not thought like it was... an amazing film. Yeah, it didn't make much impact, but I sort of enjoyed watching it. I was like, this is a fine, a fine time I'm having now. <laughs> Um, and anyway, so the third movie is ramping up. Doesn't seem to have a title yet. Director is James Mangold, who also directed The Wolverine and directed 310 to Yuma and various things. Did he make Walk the Line? Yeah, Walk I? the Line, yeah. And he Copland did. And... Various, various films. And it's made a couple of exciting casting announcements, which are maybe a little surprising. So first of all, we recently heard that Stephen Merchant is joining the cast of The Wolverine sequel. Um, he of Ricky Gervais' stuff fame. Um, he's a sort of gangly, weird-looking comic actor. Yeah, presumably in some sort of comic relief role. One would, one would, imagine. one would assume. One would assume. In his role as Wheatley in Portal Two, the video game, he gets to do a little bit more than just be a comedy character because he's quite an interesting little robot in that. So maybe he'll do a similar um, interesting robotic role <laughs> in this, where he's a bit more depth to him. I don't know. Uh, and also <laughs> appearing in the Wolverine sequel. <laughs> Is um, Richard E. Grant, who's... Um, With Nail himself. <laughs> the man himself, the ever-popular Richard E. Grant, who's occasionally crops up in things. He's a guy who seems to turn up and you're like, oh, it's him. What are you doing here? Nice to see you, Richard. Happy to have you on my screens. I enjoyed his um, turn in Girls. 
That was quite good fun. Yeah. Um, and then recently, what was that film he's in with Jude Law? Oh, Dom Hemingway. Dom Hemingway. You mean the film he's in with me? <laughs> yes, and you're in it as an extra. Yeah. Yeah, the film starring I Richard E. Grant and Danny Moran. So Richard E. Grant is playing a mysterious mad scientist, apparently. That makes sense for him, doesn't it? I wouldn't he's... call him a very subtle actor. No. <laughs> I'd say that'd be right in his wheelhouse. It definitely would, yeah. Um, do you know what? He could do, I think him and Jeff Goldblum should be in a movie together, both playing mad scientists. That'd be good. That probably has happened, actually. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be surprised if that has happened. Do you know, when I first read these news stories, uh, I had the thought because the second Wolverine movie, The Wolverine, is all set in Japan and just has Japanese actors and Wolverine. So it's like, this is going to be set in sort of like, you know, just Britain, like posh Britain, and that everyone else will be like a sort of posh, tall, angular Brits apart from <laughs> Hugh Jackman. Yeah, they're all a bit gangly and weird looking and they all yeah. grin all the time and then like make him feel really uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah, that would be great. I'd love that. Wolverine. What are you doing here? That's I'm trying to think of like, what's an iconic... That's a bit McKellen. It sounds like McKellen's back that's in it. That's true. What are you doing here, Wolverine? Cumberbatch? Cumberbatch, yeah. But he's he's a sort of hottie. He's a weirdo. He's quite weird. He's, he's a, I guess yes. he is. He is kind of funny looking. I'm trying to think. Does Wolverine have any classic like lines? Or like catchphrases? No. Does he? <laughs> he's gone. Clawing time. <laughs> he's gone berserker. Yeah. Doesn't he have berserker like rage? Yeah. That's a thing. But no one, no one says he's gone berserker. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Stephen Merchant would say in the film. Sir, I think he's gone berserker as he's like stalking the grounds of the country manor, killing a bunch of Brits. Uh, yeah, I'm glad we have such a clear vision for how this sequel is going to turn out. Um, before we stop talking about that forever, um, I do want to plug a great photo of Richard E. Grant. If you Google Richard E. Grant holding a fish, the first photo on Google Images in the top left-hand corner is a topless Richard E. Grant. He's kind of cradling a giant fish. <laughs> and grinning <laughs> like like no one has ever been happier to hold a fish than um he is in that photo and it's very it's a very fun experience googling that and looking at it <laughs> so you should do it and now for danny to review a film he recently saw was it staggeringly brilliant was it ask punchingly poor how did danny fall the judgment we're about to hear his thoughts if he does a rubbish job then sam will tell him off so son of saul you've probably heard about this movie it's got a lot of press it's the Oscar-winning foreign film from this year. It's a Hungarian film which deals with the Holocaust. I'm generally not, you know, seeking out Hungarian Holocaust movies, but this film was so acclaimed that I felt, you know, I had to weigh in on it. This one came to you. This one came to me. So this is the debut film by uh, Laszlo Nemes or Nemes. I'm going to mangle some Hungarian pronunciation here, and it's written by uh, Laszlo Nemes and a woman called Claire Royer. And the plot is that it's set in Auschwitz in 1944 and our main character Saul is part of the Sonderkommando, which these were a group of Jews that were spared the gas chamber and in return they were in charge of officiating the camps. So they had to clear out the bodies, sort the clothes, clean the chambers and all these other grisly tasks. And one day Saul sees the body of a boy who he believes is his son and he's determined to give him a proper Jewish burial. And meanwhile a resistance movement is brewing in the camp as news has reached him that the Soviets are invading. And the film is a day and a half in Saul's life in this camp. So my experience of watching this film was a bit strange because I think when I watched it, I was like sort of numb to the horror of it. I didn't know quite what to make of it. And then it sort of hit me a day later. And I sort of, as I sort of unstart unpacking the film, it suddenly sort of opened up to me. And I was like, that is very, very good. It's a very impressive film. The film is shot in this very particular style where it's a square frame. And the camera either follows Saul or... Um, shoots his point of view 
and the film consists of a lot of long takes where all you mainly see are characters' faces reacting to the horrors off screen or something. It doesn't really shy away from that sort of stuff, but it's mainly the reactions and you sort of read into them what you will. And this approach is genius and works on many different levels. First of which, just making a film about this subject matter is kind of fraught with perils. And I think you, as a filmmaker, you must be in constant danger of making a decision which will some way sort of cheapen the story or not do it justice. And I think a big reason why other Holocaust films are perhaps less successful is because they have a relatively conventional visual aesthetic and the Holocaust is so outside human experience that the usual visual grammar of a conventional film doesn't sit right with it, which is a lofty thing to say, which I'll explain. <laughs> but basically, the language of film is like editing, and editing is, by its nature, kind of fake. It sort of takes time, it distorts it, and contracts it, and it's like, you know, when you watch a film, you know you're watching a film. And the Holocaust demands, like, an authenticity, almost as, like, a moral imperative. And if it feels Hollywoodified or... Like, yeah, not real. It detracts from your experience of watching it. So like, there's a certain amount of comfort in, to the audience in the conventional filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, this you is think like, of like Schindler's List. Yeah, something. like in Schindler's List, there's that sequence. I think Schindler's List is a very flawed film for a lot of reasons. But there's that sequence where they're in the showers and it's like, is gas or water going to come out of the showers? And what Spielberg is trying to do is generate the terror of being in that situation. But the actual shots he uses, it's like a horror movie, you know. And there's something not right about using whether water or gas is going to come out of the shower for just the sensation of terror and what's good about son of saw is even though it's as constructed as a more conventionally shot film uh, the uniqueness of the camera's perspective and the long takes make it feel real right yeah and it's also a question of the audience's manipulation because this is like one big creative decision and it allows you as an audience member to make up your own mind as you don't feel like you've been pushed in any single way but the director is guiding you through the story does that make sense like yeah um because if you shoot your holocaust sequence like a horror movie then i can see how it makes it feel less real in the audience's mind if they're reminded of like scream or halloween or something like yeah that. or you're reminded like of that's another connection. film yeah you're thinking about cinematic tropes rather than about the yeah the moment it's also this technique is a way for the filmmakers to creatively tackle the subject matter, uh, but avoid the pitfalls of doing so. So like it's just made these decisions about how we're going to shoot it at the start of the film. And that's the way all the scenes will be shot in this way. It gives the audiences space to make up their own decisions about stuff and not being manipulated. But at the same time, they sort of are because the director is guiding you through this film. Yeah. Um, it also makes sense in a story capacity because you're focused on Saul for most of the film and all the horrors happening around him in this slightly out-of-focus way. In the same way you'd imagine any human being's state of mind would be that. you just got to like, focus and try and block out as much as you can. And um, it also gives the film a slightly kind of spaced-out quality, a bit like Victoria, that sort of single-take movie, in that you're not used to these editing rhythms. Yeah, it feels like time dilates a bit. Exactly. Also, the sort of flowing nature of the visuals make the whole thing digestible. Because it's not like, you know, one horror, then it stops and, you know, you grab a breath and then another one begins. You've got to gear yourself up like it just continuously happens and flows and it's constantly moving. So it's uh, it's, an, it's easy to watch, but it's not, <laughs> you know, it's like in a technical sense, it's easy to watch. And it also 
gives the film real scope because you can imagine the camera could just focus on a different person and that would be a whole different film and there's that you know quote like one death is a tragedy six million is a statistic and you know a huge wide shot of this atrocity just is a bit overwhelming but by focusing on one person it gives you an entry into a situation which is slightly unfathomable you know it's like yeah. gotta be on human conception even though you know created by human minds yeah so the film rests on the kind of performance of Saul played by this guy called uh Geza Rorig and amazingly he's not a professional actor he's done three other tv roles and he's a poet by profession he lives in New York and he has published collections of poems about the holocaust so I guess he's quite researched on the matter and also the film is built from testimonies from people who were in the Soda Commando who wrote diaries and buried them before the Germans could find it and burn it and the carriage of Saul is really interesting because he starts off as something of a blank canvas. He's got very few lines in the film and it's just like his facial expression. And there's something of a sort of like montage theory practice where you see all these horrors and you see his face and it's a bit of a blank canvas and you can't help but sort of project what he's thinking on him. But one of the great successes of the film is that it constantly surprises you. And as the narrative unfolds, you kind of get a bit more sense of who Saul is. And it, that continues right into the sort of, sort of, endish of the movie and like oh okay that's what that guy's like and that's especially impressive because the holocaust is so reductive it's like you'd be hard to distinguish between those people in the camp you know yeah, you they think spend like their, their circumstances days... are so overwhelming that personality gets a bit absolutely out. yeah uh, but this film somehow manages it it also the story is brilliant in its simplicity because it gives a character who is a victim probably like the worst victim you could think of agency and it's a task which is believably accomplishable in that situation. Like, you, there's, you know, unremitting horror from the start. You're like, he's probably not going to break free and move to Switzerland and be fine or whatever. But, like, he might be able to c accomplish this, or he might not. But it's enough believability that you can invest in that journey. So, yeah, it's a bit of a... Um, I found it a bit of an odd experience where I wasn't quite sure what the movie was until a day after I've watched it. And I'm, I've sort of figured out a bit. And I think what it's trying to do is... But firstly, it's trying to make experience the feeling as best it can, like what the Holocaust was like, which it succeeds. And it's also just trying to make you think about it in a way more than this was horrible and, you know, shut it out. It actually engages you in that subject matter. So, yeah, it's like it's, yeah. if you're in the mood for uh, it's definitely I'm, gl I'm really glad I've seen it. You know, I think it's a film where like, I sort of just was slightly overwhelmed by it when I saw it and a bit numb to it. And then. It takes you a while to process it. You know, it's like you're watching. You feel it. like it should, you know? If it's yeah. a good movie, it should take you a while. You shouldn't come out of it and be like, I got it. Yeah. 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 I'm always in a danger because it's like, it's such a sort of powder keg emotional thing to. It's like, is this movie good or is it just portraying something which is terrible and that as a human being, I can't help but be manipulated, you know? Yeah, that elevates in that it. way. Yeah. But I think it, it absolutely sort of earned it. Cool. It reminds me, when you're talking about the way of dealing with um, the Holocaust subject matter, it reminds me of that clip of Terry Gilliam talking about um, uh, his Schindler's issues list. with Spielberg. Yeah. That, that Spielberg is a filmmaker who gives you answers, and yeah. he prefers filmmakers who, ra who just raise questions. He says something like that. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess is, you know, a kind of glib remark by Gilliam in, so in some way, but like, but it's kind of true in the way that he that Spielberg well, tackles his absolutely and the director said when people tackle these subjects in the past they always tackle the exceptions 
So like, you know, six million people died. It's not about these Jews that survived. Yeah. It's about all the ones that died. And like, that's just what this movie's about. So good. Good. Good Holocaust, like excellent Holocaust film. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. Let's join share between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. Okay, now after that, I will <laughs> attempt to talk seriously about this popcorn movie in which a bunch of costumed, <laughs> muscular men punch each other. So, Captain America Civil War, it's the um, uh, latest giant blockbuster following hot on the heels of uh, Batman v Superman a month later. Kind of a similar story. More superheroes pitted against other superheroes. In this case, it's like the it's the follow up to Captain America: Winter Soldier, and also a kind of follow up to Avengers: Age of Ultron. And I imagine it helps a lot if you've seen those movies going into this one. Yeah. Um, and uh, the beginning, an Avengers mission goes a bit awry. Um, I don't, I never know exactly how much background to give to people. You all know who the Avengers are, right? It's a bunch of superheroes, <laughs> <laughs> including Captain America and Iron Man stuff. Anyway, so they have a mission at the beginning of this film. It goes a bit awry, and some civilians die. And the United Nations, they watch a highlights reel of the previous climaxes of the last few Marvel films, and they're like, things keep blowing up. And uh, so they decide to take some control over the Avengers and have them operate under the aegis of the United Nations rather than as a private group. And this splits opinion in the Avengers. Iron Man is a bit guilty and uh, nerve-wracked. He's been in this sort of increasingly guilty spiral since Iron Man 3. And he's all for um, being under some control. And Captain America is not remotely into it. And their conflict goes from being just a disagreement to a full-on tete-a-tete when the Winter Soldier, who's a brainwashed ex-evil man um, and also the old friend from World War II of Captain America, turns back up and is accused of committing a terrorist atrocity. Here is a clip of Steve Rogers arguing the merits of UN oversight with Tony Stark and his ally, Colonel Rhodes. Tony, if someone dies on your watch, you don't give up. Who said we're giving up? We are for not taking responsibility for our actions. This document just shifts the blame. Sorry, Steve, that, that is dangerously arrogant. This is the United Nations we're talking about. It's not the World Security Council. It's not S.H.I.E.L.D. It's not Hydra. No, but it's run by people with agendas, and agendas change. That's good. That's why I'm here. When I realized what my weapons were capable of in the wrong hands, I shut it down, stopped manufacturing. Tony, you chose to do that. If we sign this, we surrender our right to choose. What if this panel sends us somewhere we don't think we should go? What if there's somewhere we need to go and they don't let us? We may not be perfect, but the safest hands are still our own. If we don't do this now, it's going to be done to us later. So... <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was great. It had a lot of um, advanced buzz of being really good. And this is another occasion, just like with Batman v Superman, where I read a bunch of reviews beforehand and was excited going in because the reactions were so extreme in like completely opposite ways. Yeah. And when I came out and uh, generally agreed with the consensus. Yeah, I had a fantastic time. I had such a great time that I went uh, the next day <laughs> after seeing it. And watched it again. Danny went to see this Holocaust movie. <laughs> I went to see Civil War for a second time. So um, it's interesting in some way. It, the, the whole Marvel project is is breaking new ground 
And when the Avengers, the first Avengers movie came out, it was seen as a gamble, both um, in the conception of it, because it required other movies to be successful to make people want to see those characters be in the same movie together. And also in the fact that it's a huge ensemble piece and people were like, will it simply feel overstuffed with different heroes from different movies? Like they're all main characters from other things. They're all vying for attention. How is that going to work in a single story? And that movie was a big hit. It was very successful. And Joss Whedon did a great job of marshalling all those different people. And it um, flowed really smoothly. And they seem to have just decided to ramp up that approach to the max each time. Um, And so Age of Ultron had yet more superheroes in it. And that seems to be a little less successful. Burnt out Joss Whedon. I hope he's okay. Seems to have suffered (laughs) a little bit. And uh, people were kind of worried about superhero fatigue, particularly as the next mass superhero team-up blowout was not waiting for another Avengers movie, but but, but was coming the very next year in the form of this Captain America sequel, which features almost all of the Avengers, except for Thulk Thulk and Hor. Thor and Hulk. They're not not in it. They're off doing their own thing. But it features everyone else, and it features a bunch of new people as well, including the reintroduction of Spider-Man and the introduction of Black Panther. So... It's kind of a big proposition and a lot of the things about this movie before anyone creative got involved were basically marketing decisions. Um, And I think that that slightly hangs over the entire affair. But I think that once the people who were creative got, you know, into it and got stuck into it, they are really firing at all cylinders and having, you know, had to work with these restrictions. I think they've done about as good a job as one could reasonably expect i think the thing the thing that's key to his success is that it sells the central conflict which has to be back engineered because um like i was saying it's like it's almost kind of a marketing decision you know yeah i think the superhero on superhero thing always feels like they're trying to sell a toy line but i think they've done a really good job of setting this up so tony stark has had a series of movies in which he makes mistakes and awful things happen And so they seem to have been teaching him that he can't trust his own judgment. Whereas Captain America is just coming off the back of a movie in which um, the people he was working for turned out to be evil. So he's kind of been taught that he can't trust anyone else's judgment. And that is the kind of the way the plot is incited is this debate over civil liberties and vigilante justice, where it's natural for those two guys to take opposite sides. And that is used as a kind of framework to explore more character-focused ideas about how our past experiences, instead of making us wiser, um, can impair our judgment and lead us to make less good choices. And the thing that I think is most interesting about um, the direction the movie takes is that without compromising the goodness of the heroes, it shows how your own moral compass is not always a good guide to making good decisions. And it's interesting in that it's about a action hero who is probably the most unambiguously good person you could have but by the end of the movie the events do not validate the decisions that he makes which i think is very rare even in like movies that are kind of subversive in quotation marks like the Bourne movies or something basically Bourne is always making the right choices because he's like a good guy yeah i'm slightly cool on this film i think part of it is that i'm not quite there with marvel and I always feel 
that I'm watching someone else's favorite film. Like, you know, there's some soaring music and a, there's a guy and he's turned up, he's got wings, everyone's happy. And I'm like, you know, who the fuck is that? Yeah. I don't know. And uh, yeah, to rage against a film for being a commercial entity is to rage against 95% of all the films ever made. Yeah, uh, especially the expensive ones. Yeah, and there is definitely, I felt like, you know, with Marvel films, sometimes they've just executed these briefs rather than making a coherent story. And But this is one of their better entries. And even stuff I found, uh, which is superfluous, like Spider-Man or this Black Panther character, you could, you know, quite conceivably make the film and cut those characters out and not change that much. They kind of work because they're sort of thematically tied in and it's, they're very winningly played by Chadwick Boseman and Tom Hollander. Tom Hollander is super charming. Tom Holland, we should Tom say. Holland, not Tom Holland. Tom Holland, the, the star the, of In the, the Loop. The 48-year-old <laughs> man. Like Diminutive, angry British actor. Yeah, but they're, they're so winningly played that you don't really mind. But I think my sort of... I wasn't that emotionally involved in the story. I'm not sure I'm quite getting the experience that filmmakers are selling, and which you got. I liked it when it was bright and fun and quippy and Spider-Man was in it. And when it was getting a bit serious and, you know, the friends are looking at each other with fr- and frowning, I was like, okay, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. So it's hard for me to have a particularly strong opinion. I sort of, I quite liked it, but, and I can appreciate it's well made. But- yeah. I would, I would say that I, I didn't, I, I didn't find it super emotional. There was a Robbie Collin article on the Telegraph about how he cried in, uh, at the climax <laughs> of Civil War. Which I don't completely get. I mean, I didn't find it an incredibly emotional watching that I wasn't like, you know, I was laughing a lot more than I was upset. Actually, I laughed a lot. I found it to be, it's a film that filled me with delight. I think that's probably the, the chief emotion that I had watching it. There was a lot to delight me. I just think like the script is extremely clever. I was, I'm very admiring of the construction of the movie. They have so much work to do. There's so many characters involved. Uh, they have to give a lot of them a little arc. And they have to make it work like tied in thematically to the to the rest of the story. They have to make it kind of a third Captain America movie that ends a trilogy, and also a movie that is another stepping stone, like another chapter in their long kind of Avengers narrative. Plus, they have to make it a thrilling action movie, and it also has to feel kind of light on its feet. You know, yeah, it can't just get bogged down in we have to move the pieces here, and every line has to be doing multiple things at once you know it's always got to be moving the plot forwards and developing the characters and you know plus making sense i did have one gripe go go ahead go ahead i know you're prepared you you i'm ready i'm I'm ready listen i read you captain america America. i read danny's notes okay okay. go ahead i'm prepared it's like a you know obligatory reference to batman and to be superman yeah but i feel that like the conflict arises the big trail superhero brawl between all the aforementioned characters arises because there's a there's a information that cap and the falcon bucky find out which changes you know your understanding of the situation and there's a line like there's no point telling tony he won't believe us and i just do not buy that <laughs> for one moment yeah like the movies have established that Cap's america is a moral smart honest man and tony stark is really arrogant but he's very smart and I think if they told Tony that he would believe that. And I feel like the situation would be resolved. It's like Batman v Superman and like the situation would be resolved if they just Superman chatted, was just like, Wait chatted a for one minute. Yeah. And I, no, go ahead. Go ahead. My problem is like it's relying on these previous films for you to invest in the characters and then asking you to ignore certain details to allow the punching to happen. So I don't think it's as watertight. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't think that's true. I, I wouldn't necessarily claim that the plot is watertight, but in that particular instance, I think that part of the dramatic like argument of this movie is that both of those characters are acting irrationally. Oh, and they... yeah, because it's all about how <laughs> this is established quite a lot that Captain America does not act rationally when it comes to Bucky and it keeps causing problems in the Winter Soldier and it causes problems in this movie. And they also established that Tony Stark is um, getting more and more guilty and acting weird and like getting nervy and being strange and that he is act- also not acting rationally. And I think that even if you take issue with that bit, I don't, you know, it's not the worst. It's not like watching The Dark Knight Rises or something where like every other scene you're like, what the hell? Why would he do that? It's not you the know? worst, but I feel like it's really well constructed in that for all my things I had issue with, there's probably a line that explains it. Yeah. But I'm not necessarily sure that line really sells it. In the same way in Iron Man 3, he suddenly has PTSD for some reason. And it kind of makes sense because he sort of was through a traumatic experience. But, you know, I don't buy it at all. Yeah. And, yeah, I feel like there's a certain tonal problem in that these movies are so irreverent, like, all the time, that suddenly, like, it's surprising that a character, like, gets hurt or dies or, you know, is not quipping because... It's like it's like a cartoon, you know. I don't think that's true. I think like Robert Downey Jr.'s performance in every Iron Man movie is selling that idea that you have a guy who makes jokes and also feels things deeply. No, I think the movie as a whole, like all the Marvel. Films. I know, but I think that that's the you know that's the like the encapsulation of those things is what you know like that he shows that it works. I think I think that's what the first Iron Man movie is about, and that's kind of the. Um, the selling point of the whole Marvel thing is that you should be able to believe in the character drama and laugh along with their jokes at the same time. And I think it doesn't always succeed, but I, but I think that I think in this, uh, I think in this case it works. I just say that as a, obviously a massive super franchise effort, I think it's inevitably a bit inelegant and um, not completely self-contained and that the marketing decisions um, cast a bit of a pall over the movie and it doesn't feel like a purely creative effort but then you know no massive blockbusters are of course but i think that given the restrictions they're working with um everyone is pulling pulling their socks off (laughs) Mm. pulling out all the stops working their socks off and um it's hard to imagine making a better movie about like giant numbers of superheroes all brawling with each other and i'm not really sure about the concept of infinity war the next blowout in which like a giant purple space orc has got like a magic glove and wants to destroy the world. But <laughs> if anyone is going to be able to pull that off, it should be this team. But why? <laughs> why does the Falcon uh, in the scene where the... Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton She was up with her dog and we got talking I asked her what she does when she isn't acting She said she likes podcasts for relaxing Imelda, when you're in the mood What do you listen to? She said I listen to one podcast I listen to one podcast Will you the ones can kiss my ass Because I listen to one podcast Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat So this week the news came out that Ghostbusters, the new Ghostbusters trailer, is the most disliked trailer ever on yeah. YouTube. No one's ever liked a trailer less. There's a lot of thumbs down. Yes, I think there was some discussion that the MRAs had been 
you know bugging it or they got their bots out yeah and they were somehow messing with it to well there's a combination of things here i think first of all it's the trailer's not that good no it's not a very good trailer secondly people are naturally a bit precious about old properties yeah and like you know i feel like you know just there'll be a certain demographic who are just against the idea as a whole and there's also just misogynists who hate the idea of women as ghostbusters yeah i think that there's a multiplication effect also because if you have a gender swap a character no matter how irrelevant the gender was to their original character it's like Ooh. someone is going to freak out and how they've done it to four characters i know it's a shame but unfortunately this tactics worked and yeah. the uh, studio the, reacted the studio caved and so they've inserted into the film a bro-friendly character, Chuck, played by controversial and outspoken misogynist Andrew Dice Clay, the comedian, mm-hmm. probably probably well, best known for that, but he was also in Blue Jasmine, doing quite a good job acting. Yes, he wasn't uh, shouting so many hilarious misogynist remarks in that. No, not at all. But, uh, that, but now he's back to you know what's really in his wheelhouse. Absolutely. So um, should we play the trailer, the new trailer? Yeah, let's play the new updated trailer. I think it's got a much you know broader appeal. We have dedicated our whole lives to studying the paranormal. You nerds! I've dedicated my life to boning chicks and being awesome! Holtzman, you're a brilliant engineer. Daughter, your dad is a great engineer, Holtzman. You, not so much. Aaron, no one's better at quantum physics than you. Apart from every quantum physicist with a pair of hairy nuts swinging between his legs. Am I right? We can provide a real service. Is that service least frequented whole house in New York City? Am I right? I'm joining the club. You guys are really smart about this science stuff, but I know New York. And I can borrow a car from my uncle. Uh, but do you know how to make me a sandwich, honey? Because I'm kind of hungry. Someone is creating a device that amplifies paranormal activity. Uh, do you know if anyone's creating a device that will shut you dumb fucks up? Holtzman, come on. The hat is too much, right? Is it the wig or the hat? Your vagina is too much! I think it sounds better. That sounds great. That's going to be the most liked trailer ever now, probably. Yes, I'm going to like it now. Thumbs up from me. Thumbs up from me as well. Well, we'll see you next week where we'll be continuing the argument over Civil War, whether it is an okay film or the best film of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yes. See you then. Bye. Bye-bye.